everybody wants to be you know the new innovative cool guy but <laughs> fire beware. No, I have some people who want to be <laughs> in the back room just doing their, their thing they don't want to be I hope you mean okay. playing on the phone <laughs> welcome to depth and distance podcast where we take real challenges and skills that leaders need to be great at and we break them down into something that anybody can learn because how great you are as a leader is actually a culmination of a lot of skills and not just something you either are or aren't and this week we're getting towards the end of talking about planning as a leader. And what we're really going to be focusing on is communicating effectively. And by that, I mostly mean delivering bad news because everyone can deliver good news, but knowing when and how to approach delivering difficult changes or you know, things that might not be received particularly well is something that I know I struggled with a lot. And if someone had taught me that it was a skill and not just like something to grin and bear, I think I might've done better earlier. Before we get into it, I have someone a little bit new, a little bit different to talk to this week. And it is, to be fair, my mom, but in and of her own right, an excellent leader. And I think bringing in civilian perspectives on this can be really important because a lot of times in the military, we only get military leaders teaching other military leaders, which means we don't open up opportunities for new and different thoughts and perspectives. So welcome. And would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm Marsha Anderson Bomar, very proud mom. Uh, so let me share a little bit about my educational background. Uh, I have a bachelor's in mathematics, a master's in transportation planning and engineering, a master's in civil engineering, and soon a PhD in environmental planning and design. So lifelong Yay! learner. Yay, lifelong learner. Love it. PhD um, from UGA, which is obviously amazing. Some <laughs> of the master's degrees from Princeton, which, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's see. So important background on my, my business side, my, my employment side. So I was the founder and owner of engineering and planning firm called Street Smarts for about 21 years before I sold it to an international consultancy. Also had a data and technology company that I built and sold. I have held a number of positions in government, including assistant general manager at a transit agency, as well as commissioner of transportation for a city, city of Atlanta. Also served as an elected small city. Also small city. As a, a, for a small city, I did serve as a city council member for 16 years. So I think I have a lot of different perspectives in terms of giving and receiving bad news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit of a little bit of politics in there. Just throw it in. I can't believe it was 16 years. Yikes. Time flies. Sure does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to start by just asking, is what is like the worst delivery of news if you can think of one? Not necessarily the worst news, but like the most poorly delivered news you ever got. Hmm. While you're thinking, I can tell you mine because I I have mine ready. Yeah, please go ahead. (laughs) So when I was with the CBs, we had an embedded medical doctor. They're like attached to your command. So they're in your professional setting, right? And I was like walking through the halls one day and literally he's like walking the other direction. And as we pass each other, he just goes, Hey, your test results from the other day came back abnormal. You could be sick or it could be nothing. We just need you to stop by the clinic later and get another test. (laughs) And I was just like floored. I was like, first off, there's other people in this hallway. Second off, what do you mean I might be sick or it might be nothing? Just no lead in, no prep. And I just like that has stuck with me for I mean, it's been almost 10 years and I'm like still a little mad about it because it's like, like we had I mean, we had cell phones. This wasn't like the dark ages. You could have just texted me. Hey, stop by my office or, you know, sent me an actual note through our medical system. You didn't have to like hey, by the way, oh my gosh, it was so weird. And it turned out to be nothing but like undue stress. And like, who else heard? Who else heard? Whatever. Anyway, yeah. that's mine. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think the one that comes to mind is 
I was probably 15 years into owning my own firm. And as you know, in many organizations, you do performance reviews. Mm. So I had been involved in doing many and delivering you know, the results. When my senior staff decided, hmm, we've never done a review of Marsha. <laughs> so they wanted to do fundamentally a 360 review. But this is like pre-360s. Like this, like the foundation is not there yet. <laughs> correct. Correct. So, you know, they pulled themselves together. They solicited comments from who knows who. And not in a very public setting, although the conference room was kind of a fishbowl. <laughs> they delivered the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um with was, no warning. They didn't no say warning. like on Tuesday next week, we would like to give you feedback. They were just like, like come, come to this meeting. Come join us in the conference room. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I was concerned when I saw a box of tissues on the table, you know. Like, uh. They prepared. They <laughs> thought to themselves, we're going to need tissues, but not we should, like, give her fair warning. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Don't read it in advance. Don't have time to think about it. Just come on in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if anyone is not familiar with 360s, I know we do them kind of at the mid-grade levels in, in the military for some positions, like people who are headed to command positions. It's sort of like our command climate survey, but it's focused on a single person. So the reason it's called a 360 is like someone who's in charge of you, some of your peers, and some of the people you lead are all supposed to like give you feedback so you can see how you're being perceived from all sides. Oh my gosh. I don't think I ever knew that story. I mean, yeah. I would have been like 15 at the time. I don't know how you would have like brought that up to dinner, but you probably saw me flinching when I came home that day. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did you respond? Did anybody get in trouble? No, nobody got in trouble. I did tell them that, you know, I needed to digest what they shared, that I agreed with some of it. I disagreed with some, but needed to prepare myself better to respond because I was pretty kind of smacked in the face. Yeah. Um, and part of it, they didn't have a full picture. So where mm. they thought I had done something with which they disagreed, it was because of a lack of information. So mm. it, it gave me an opportunity to think about where transparency was appropriate and where I had to just ask for trust. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, because as a leader, if you're fully transparent, like, what are you even doing there? <laughs> kind mm. of <laughs> like mm. sometimes your job is to either make decisions and then you have to hold on to some of that information because like you're going to deal with consequences or you're an umbrella, like you're guarding people from some stuff. And also like if you're completely like if you're just passing all the information down all that's going to do is stress other people out. Like, cause now, exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's, it's a and that's, very interesting. That's a big part of it, you know, especially, you know, in a small business, we were, you know, 120 people. So considered relatively small organization, you know, finances go up and down. It's a role. Yeah. And it's bad enough that the most senior leadership has to suffer that, that ride you know, what good does it do to tell everybody on staff, oh, we think we might make payroll this week. Oh, and then we figure out how to make payroll, you know. I mean, yeah. I never I never missed a payroll, but there were weeks that, you know, up until the day the checks were due to be handed out, because when I started, we were still in paper check mode. Um, oh, man. You know, I wasn't sure if there was enough money to do just, it. So there's I want to share that with my staff, you know. Yeah. They don't need that. Yeah. It's so funny, because... Obviously, even with all your education, like you don't have an MBA, but it's the same principles and you, you, you learned them. I don't want to say like the school of hard knocks, but you know, mm -hmm. got out there and did the thing in the nineties and the lessons are still the same, which is amazing. And my favorite thing from really both of ours is that it hits on the very first part of what I talked about when I was breaking down the skill of like, how do you deliver bad news? Which is like, you got to pick your moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I broke it down into like, who needs to be present? What should the environment be? And are they in a place to hear what you're going to tell them? So what do you think of like, kind of that as a framework for, for picking your moment? 
Oh, I think that's a really good framework for that. You know, I think you have to, you have to be well prepared. You know, you, you need time to get yourself ready, but you also want to maximize the likelihood that the person will hear you accurately mm-hmm. and be receptive to perhaps a good dialogue. Because, yeah. you know, in delivering, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, in delivering that news, you know, you may bring with you some ideas for solutions or approaches to addressing whatever, you know, the, the news is. And you want to make sure you have enough time to yep. have that conversation. Because if you, you know, if you know the person has a meeting in four minutes and you're about to drop a bomb, there's clearly no time for discussion. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe what you deliver is, I need 15 minutes or 20 minutes of your time. When today can we have that, that time slot? Yeah. And when you deliver the message, you don't, you don't do it in a rush when it really needs a conversation. Well, and I, I think some of it goes to like, how urgent is this, right? Like in the military, you know, we have things called like casualties on, which is not like necessarily a person, mm-hmm. at least on ships, right? So that could be fire, flooding, hydraulic rupture, could be a lot of things. And like, I don't care if your meeting is in 10 seconds, if one of those things happens, like we need attention right now. But yeah, for a lot of things, if, if you have a second, I think people get so worried about not holding on to the secret that they forget that like part of delivering news is making sure that everyone is like ready to to talk about. So like the the time I think is really big. How do you think about like formal versus an informal setting? So like mine, too informal. Do not tell me things about test results in the hallway. Yours, maybe too formal. Like maybe they should have started with something less formal than let's all just like sit around with a and present you in the conference room with tissues. <laughs> so weird. So, like because it, it it implies like forethought. Like it implies like we ganged up and planned this in a formal way. That was exactly how it felt. Yeah, which makes it worse. If it had been less formal, if it had been like two or three of them just coming in and being like, look, we've gotten some feedback to kind of talk to ourselves and we want to just chat with you. Like maybe it would have been received differently. So how do you think about like formal versus informal? So to, to me, if it's something that, a, obviously if it's confidential, needs to be a little more formal. Right. Um, if it's not something that's confidential, is it something? Is the environment going to change the way you receive it? So, had, yeah. In my case, had we gone out to lunch, had a you know quiet little table in the corner, and had it more as a conversation about you know some things are going well, there are some areas of improvement. We'd like to talk to you about that. I would have received it very differently. You know, yeah. Subsequently, had more of that kind of conversation with one of the individuals. Mm-hmm. And and was able to process better. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, I think I think part of it also depends on the recipient of the information. Sure. You know, so the, sometimes the person receiving it just by nature and it's not necessarily just in the military, but by by their nature, they want something very formal. They want you to have thought about it. Maybe they want a, even a, a presentation. Mm. You know the individual. Maybe it's something that warrants a slide deck, or maybe it's something that re- requires a, you know, a handout, if you will. Um, yeah. But a little, you know, little bit of a read ahead. Yeah, you know, and and something that also, you know, I th- when I think of that that piece of paper you might hand somebody, you c- on there you can have like what the problem is, how you've assessed it, what ideas you have for solving it, so that when you start the conversation and the person kind of starts to sidetrack you maybe and mm. go off in a direction that's not where you need to go, you have the tool to pull them back to the necessary conversation. Yeah. And I think so when in the couple of instances where I have received bad news, I think the thing that's so challenging for me is I want to be calm. I know that if I want people to keep bringing me bad news, I have to receive bad news well. That's the only way to build that trust. On the other hand, I I lean towards panic in in many aspects of my life. 
And so if you approach it and I feel like you don't have a handle on it, like, and you're just bringing me like just a pile of problems, it's so much harder for me to control my literal physical response. And once like the heart is, you know, like my heart is rapidly beating, I'm, you know, breathing fast, my mind is racing. Like it is literally more difficult for me to stay focused. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you do that, when you bring an agenda, or even if you start it by saying, look, I'm going to present some stuff that's challenging or difficult or whatever, but I've, and we'll, we'll go through some of the other things, you know, to prep for this meeting too. But like, I've talked to the people that it affects. We think we have a handle on it and, and I want to present you some ways forward. To me, that's like, okay, I don't have to immediately freak out. And it kind of goes to your thing where it's like, if that's not necessarily more casual, but it is, it sets me up to be more receptive. Well, yeah, the same yeah. I, the other thing I think that's important about that structure that you talked about is by telling you that up front, hopefully it forestalls you from, as you hear the initial words, going off and thinking about how to solve the problem. Because then you're not <laughs> yeah. even receiving the information. You're right. thoroughly distracted. So if I tell you up front, you know, I know there's an issue, you know, I've done my research. I believe I have some options to offer. You know, I'd like to present all of this and then get your feedback. I yeah. Think that keeps you more engaged in the moment. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I think leaders are problem solvers. That's how mm -hmm. most people end up in leadership positions is they solve problems over time right. and got put into higher and higher positions of trust, which means, and uh, it makes me think of uh, what got you here won't get you there mm -hmm. um, is one of my like favorite you know, sure. phrases as a leader, mm -hmm. because all of the kinds of problem solving that you did to get wherever you are in the leadership chain is not actually the kind of problem solving that will get you to the next one, but it's what's familiar. So it's what you're going to default to. Absolutely. And so if someone brings me something that's easy for me to solve, that's where my brain's going to go, which not only is not helpful because I'm not listening to them, but it doesn't actually make them a better leader if I solve their problems. Right. You, you're actually robbing them of the opportunity. Yeah, grow their leadership skills if you do that. You jump yeah, in like that. Mm -hmm. an unfortunate parallel with parenting. <laughs> 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 this puzzle would go faster if I, if you just let me do it, kid. Like you know, but they have to learn. Patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, patience in both parenting and leadership. How do you think about who else should be present in the room when you're delivering news? So depending on you know who it's going to impact. You know, if an individual did something that is creating the problem, mm. I would not have that person in the room initially. I oh, might interesting. Waiting out, I might have them waiting outside. Okay. But to keep, to keep the focus on, to me, what we really need to focus on ultimately is solving the problem. Yeah. If I bring an individual in, I think it's going to be a distraction. It's going to be about the person right. and not the problem. Yeah. So I'd probably keep them, you know, handy, but but not bring them in the room right away. If there are other people that I, I feel strongly need to receive my recommendation and help implement it, it's helpful to have them in the room so they can hear the you know the how this started, what what I researched and discovered, and ultimately why I'm recommending the path forward that I'm recommending, so that you don't have to go through it two, three, four times. Yeah just cut out a, a lot of that telephone game and just like, mm -hmm. look, here's the team. Yeah. yeah. And I think similarly, anyone that you like, re not received information from necessarily, but that is some sort of expert who made a judgment call that you relied on, that person should be either present or nearby to justify it. Right. So like, I don't know that much about, nuclear reactors. So if I had to deliver news about a part for a nuclear reactor, and part of that was like, and this is how it's going to impact whoever, I would either have someone from engineering with me, or really, really nearby, because some of my information is just going to be words that I'm saying that I but like. I would, yeah, but I would also start that portion of my presentation with, after speaking with so-and-so, 
yeah who is the subject matter expert we agreed on this approach right and and like yeah and if they can't be present or for whatever reason don't want to be present i think that's really strong and then i think like they're standing by if you have questions Mm -hmm. or if they do want to be there you know tell them like if you have questions for how we got to that like this is the expert and i think that helps you build trust because they know that you asked the right people mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. that you went way outside of your swim lane right yeah, yeah. i think we often forget that it is a sign of strength not weakness to engage others you know? yeah you can't know everything you can't be an expert in everything and <laughs> i go back to you know my my company you know, when I started, the tools that are available today were not available. We were still using Lotus. Excel didn't even barely <laughs> exist. <laughs> and I ran my entire company using spreadsheets because there were there were no basic accounting type tools or predictive. There was not none of that. So, you know, the the idea of me knowing everything. I didn't go to business school. I was an engineer, so I was methodical, but I knew nothing about accounting and accounting language is backwards from engineering speak. So yeah, I know. It's backwards (laughs) in and of itself. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I always thought when people paid me money, that was a plus until I talked (laughs) to my accountant. He said, it's a minus because now they don't owe you any more money. (laughs) That never that never sat well with me. <laughs> Look, I did I did the whole undergrad degree in business. I'm almost through the masters. I still have to remind myself what a credit versus debit is yeah. every single time. It makes no sense. My brain breaks. It's it's bad. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like I learned it wrong the first time, and it just I cannot shake it. Oh, so bad, so bad. How do you think about if someone is ready? to hear bad news like what do you look for when you've had to deliver bad news to be like okay that person is in like a physical mental and emotional place to hear what i'm about to say so i think the first part is are they paying attention you know so i have somebody in my sphere right now who is always and i'm talking from a from a professional perspective not personal but professional perspective, who is always looking at least at at least one, if not both, of his cell phones. All That's the too many phones. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, well, I don't care. I mean, I have two phones sitting right over here, but I'm not touching them. You know, they can ping all they want, and I'm not going to go there while I'm having this conversation. Yeah. But you know, this in the, the, actually there are two individuals who are with their cell phones when they're on a virtual meeting. You know, they rarely have their camera on. Mm-hmm. They're rarely paying attention. Yeah. And I know that they're playing with both of their phones. Yeah. And everything you tell them, you have to tell them at least twice because they sort of eventually realize you've been speaking to them. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and, oh, sorry, I didn't catch that. You know, you have to go through the whole thing. Yeah. Bad, very bad situation. So, yeah. you know, you need to have some ground rules and say, you know, this is, I have something important you know, we need to talk about, um, I'd prefer, you know, to have your full attention for a brief time. So if I, you know, could ask no cell phones, no computer, you know, distractions, because I really need, you know, to deliver this information and get some feedback from Yeah. Get somebody somebody really focused. Um, you know, hallway conversations are the worst because a, you don't know who else is listening, you know, but there are also frequently other people just walking by, which is distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have two conference rooms that have one entire wall of glass. Mm. If I had to use a room like that, I would try to position so that the receiver has their back to the glass. Yeah. So they're not watching all the people going by. Um, yeah. So then I think, oh, I was, I was just going to say, I think a lot of that. Oh. <laughs> Your turn. I was just going to say, like, I think that stuff isn't malicious. I agree. When I have stuff in my visual field, because I am a very visual person, I want to listen to you. But it is just like every time something moves, my brain is like drawn Mm -hmm. to that thing. 
and setting up that environment in a way that it like makes sense for everyone. And we don't have like, you know, fancy glass sided conference rooms very much in the military, especially not in like shipboard environments or whatever. But I mean, the same goes like if you're trying to sit me down in cruise mess or in the wardroom and the CSs are trying to like set up a meal, especially for me, because it's like, you know, those are people who work with me and I want them to be doing it right. And so it's like, I want to hear you. I really do. But, but I'm watching everything. <laughs> there's, there's so much noise <laughs> in my brain. Yeah. 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 So and and sometimes it's hard to to create that environment. Yeah. Um, so it becomes ever so much more important in that situation to have that agenda mm-hmm. and to keep kind of coming pointing back to it to, yeah. to refocus as you go through the discussion. Yeah. Um, I think one of the hardest parts is when the receiver who will typically in your case outrank you when that person go starts going off on their own kind of side trail mm. that respectfully you know how do you pull them back yeah <laughs> you know, given you know there may be a rank difference there may be other reasons why you know that person is you know your superior and obviously and and it's the same in the private sector obviously you know, when I'm talking with the COO of the city or the mayor, you know, there's a level of respect, you know, whether I agree with what that person's saying or not, you know, I'm going to, uh, or whether they're paying attention to me or not, <laughs> I am going to show them the utmost respect. You know? Right. They're, well, there's that they're positional authority. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and their responsibilities go far beyond my message. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, I, I, maybe I can ask at the beginning, you know, do you have something going on where it's going to be hard for you to focus on what I'm talking about? You know, if you have a relationship where you can ask that, you know, that's yeah. a good thing and say, well, I'd rather wait 15 minutes till you finish that so that I can have your undivided or mostly undivided attention. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, again, it, a lot of it comes back to what type of relationship do you have with the, the individual? Yeah. And I think if you, and so much of this goes back to trust, which is tricky in the military because we move jobs so much that by the time you build up trust with people, one of the two of you is about to transfer like all the time. That's just the law of the military, I think. And so you have to, I think in the military, at least over communicate a little bit, but the idea of if you have the time approaching someone and being like, Hey, there's something going on. I need a little time to get the information and plan ready on my side. I think it's going to take me this amount of time to talk to you. When is a good time where you'll be ready to receive it? And I think that puts it on the leader to, you know, silence those cell phones, to deal with whatever else. It reminds me not to bring parenting into it too much, but of a a theory that I heard called give me five minutes. It was, it blew up on, I think, TikTok a while back. And it's these parents who that is like their code with their kids. And when a kid says, can you give me five minutes? The adult says yes in five minutes. And then the adult has five minutes to like mentally and emotionally prepare for their kid to say something that is not going to be great. Mm -hmm. And then the kid gets five minutes and it's not an amnesty five minutes, but it's like a promise that I will be calm for five minutes. So it's like, oh, you cheated on a test? Like, I don't know that at the beginning, but I have like, you know, I have done my box breathing exercises. I'm ready for you to tell me something bad so that when you bring me the bad news, I can receive it calmly. We can talk about it logically. You aren't getting off scot-free, but at least nobody's freaking out and overreacting. Mm -hmm. And I think there's similar principles here where it's like, if you can before there are any kind of emergencies, talk to your leaders. This is a great thing to do in like a check-in interview of like, if I say when something bad happens that I am going to be ready to talk to you in 30 minutes about something, I just need to go get my ducks in a row. Can you then use that time to be ready to receive what I'm going to say? And I will come with the experts, I will come with an agenda or, you know, whatever else I'll come with a plan. If we can, that will help me build the trust that Mm -hmm. I think I deserve to handle bad situations. And I think that works in both directions. You can also give that opportunity 
to the people that you work with. And then everyone just has to like, I don't know, be grownups. I don't know. <laughs> kind of, it reminds me of when you were, you and your siblings were little. And when I came home from work, you know, I would be bombarded. And so one day <laughs> I went into my bedroom and I, you changed your name. I changed my name. Remember, I, <laughs> You kept calling mom, mom, and I didn't answer. I said, sorry, not I my name. My name. <laughs> Drama. And then you asked me what my new name was. And I said, I'm not telling you because they don't call that name. <laughs> but it I gave mean, me that, it gave me that five or 10 minutes yeah. to decompress myself from what was probably a very stressful day that I did not want to take out on my children because they were not the cause of the stress. Right. But I was absolutely not prepared to deal with life you know in in the home at that moment in time <laughs> yeah and those transitions are hard and like you know work to home or home to work i talk a lot about i try to listen to like professional stuff on the way into work and i try to listen to like comedy or you know fiction books or something on the way home mm -hmm. because that to me helps me transition between kind of those two roles but in work the switching between places where I'm the leader versus I'm the follower or where things are chill and we're going about our routine versus something is happening that like requires so much more mental and emotional effort. I think those are hard switches, even for very experienced leaders. And that's why a little warning, a little preparation can really make, make or break the delivery of a lot of that news. Totally agree with that. Yeah. I think oh. it's very hard for some people to do that planning part, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm in a panic, something crazy is happening and I, I need to be calm. I need to plan, but I'm freaking out inside you know, Yeah, because such and such happened. And, you know, that, I think that first part that you talked about, the kind of getting yourself calm and focused so you can do that planning is a really big and difficult step. Yeah, and we have a phrase that's pretty common in the military, which is don't be the senior person with a secret, which is basically like, uh, yeah, it's basically like anytime you get bad news, you want to get it to the next highest person because then if people get in trouble, like you, you've told someone, it's more nuanced than that, but that's the yeah, basic. But, but, but it also is a situation where you're sharing it with somebody who may have access to resources that you don't have who yes. can help solve the problem. Yeah. And I think for me, the balance there goes back to kind of the, the pre-warning and then the full meeting of like, here's the basic of what's happening. And again, it's like, I need a little bit of time to get my ducks in a row and then we'll have like the full meeting if we can. And to me, that would help alleviate a lot of that panic because I have technically told somebody. Right. <laughs> and if it's that big of an emergency and I'm not recognizing how big of an emergency it is, they can just tell me and we can skip all the rest of this and just bring the power team in and solve together. And that's going to have a lot more to do with their level of comfort and, and some about the trust, but it does alleviate that not being a senior person with a secret thing, which I love. That's a very interesting uh, phrase. I know. And my I know. mind immediately went to the my current organization, thinking about the the different layers and, mm. um, you know, the it's not just don't be the the senior with the secret, but you know, also communicate accurately when yes. you communicate. You know, because I, I have a circumstance where there's somebody who is more of a blamer. Mm, okay. Very a very senior person you know, who's always ready to blame somebody else. Yeah. In fact, that individual frequently has not done their part. Is it? Does it, but doesn't, doesn't turn back to the people who need to know that, that, mm. you know, that their work is done so that the others can pick up and go. Yeah. Which is part of their work. Yeah. It reminds me of like your homework's not done if it's not in your backpack, ready to go to school. Like Indeed. it being done on the table at home doesn't actually help you. So if they're not communicating back what they need mm -hmm. to say, like they haven't actually finished the whole job, they've finished 99% of the job. Right. And I think that goes to one of the next things I talked about, which is like be direct, but diplomatic. And what I talked about was like a kind of formula here where it's like, 
there's, you know, there's a spectrum of being so worried about how something is perceived that it gets lost in like the feel good Mm -hmm. versus being so cold and factual that people are like, well, a robot might have done this better than you did. And so you can't be overly dramatic. You can't be dismissive. You have to try and find that sweet spot. So the formula that I put together to kind of try and thread the needle between overly dramatic and dismissive is here's what we hoped for or what we were trying to do. This is what is actually happening right now. And then an acknowledgement about how that's likely to be received. And then the supporter plan of action. And for me, that hits on like an okay amount of empathy about what the other person is probably like going to feel or think about a situation. And when you show them that you've taken their perspective into consideration, they're going to trust everything else you say a lot more. Agreed. Agreed. And of course that assumes that you have sufficient time to go through all of that. So yeah. that's, why, that's why you have to do that upfront planning. Yep. You know, I need 15, 20 minutes of your time, whatever to do, yeah. to go through those, those methodical steps. Yeah. And I, I think even if thinking about it sometimes takes a minute, the actual delivery of those four things can be, I don't know, r- relatively short. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I understand it's supposed to be burger day today and burgers with chocolate chip cookies is super important to the crew. But the fact is we ran out of eggs and we can't make cookies with eggs. It's going to be really unpopular with the crew. Morale's going to take a hit. People are going to be frustrated. You're probably frustrated that we didn't see this coming, but we're going to do milkshakes instead. It's not the same, but because milkshakes pair really well with burgers, maybe people will, you know, mm-hmm. give us some grace. And like those and, are the four things. And, and I and think it's, it's like... Change of, change of pace from the standard routine. Yeah. Fun fact, that exact situation did happen to me and (laughs) it did not go well. (laughs) Sorry, Captain Perez and everybody on George Blue. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, But I, and I think part of the problem there is, and I mentioned this briefly in the write-up, which is like, when I took that to my captain at the time, I literally just said, we're out of eggs. We can't make chocolate chip cookies. I had none of the rest of that framework there. And so he was basically like, I don't know what that means. Right. right. And then he was like, so what to me? Right. And like, and what's the plan? And what does this, like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you say like this, and the, this is what we thought would happen is kind of the context part mm-hmm. of like, I know you have a lot of things going on running a submarine, but remember how we have to feed everyone three times a day. Great. And like you yeah. get them up to speed a little bit and then you're like, and here's where everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is the best we've got. Yeah. Well, and, you know, had you done like that initial very, you know, quick dump, I would have said, so what do you want me to do about it? This is your problem, not my problem. Yeah. And you're trying to not make it their problem, but you're trying to engage them to accept or support the solution that you've come up with. Yeah. And I think in that circumstance, it's like, I apologize that this is going to be unpopular with the crew. I'd appreciate your support in mm-hmm. highlighting this as a fun change of pace. But I, and I also, in this case, needed his signature on, I think, for the XO signature on a menu change because it was last minute. But mostly, I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to come into the wardroom and, like, of all the people, I don't want you to be surprised. I'd rather the crew also not be surprised because they won't like that. But yeah, it's, it's taking their perspective and knowing what you need from them. Mm-hmm. I think going in and I missed that. I should have had something in there about what, what are you asking for in this circumstance? Right. And I guess I had that. I've like put, put yourself in their shoes, right? Think mm-hmm. about if they sat there and were just like, and this comes from a kid's cartoon, but it's, and why should I care? <laughs> if, if you delivered your whole speech and then they just said, and why should I care? Like you should have that response ready mm-hmm. and then, and go like two or three times, right? Pretend you've got a toddler in your pocket like, because the crew's going to be sad. And why should I care? Well, when they're sad, they leave a lot of, you know, hate mail in the food service box. They might be grumpy on watch. You know, mm-hmm. you might get some direct complaints. And why should I care? Well, because if we have big things coming up or, mm-hmm. and you want to get into a couple of yeah. those layers. Absolutely. And sometimes that's more obvious than others, right? Like, 
I could edit this out if I'm very wrong, but you had somebody embezzle at some point, right? I did. Yeah, I don't think a lot needs to be explained when someone comes to tell you that. You're, I don't think you needed to ask why you should why you should care about that. Actually, I was the one who I was the one who caught the what happened. It took a little while to figure out the who. Ooh, um, yeah, didn't take very long, but it took a, yeah, it took a little while to find the who. But yeah, that was that was not a happy surprise. No. How did delivering that news go? I mean, I guess you probably had the police involved at that point. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, I brought the person into my office and I I laid out enough information, kind of more of a teaser to see if the person would admit to what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have changed my attitude dramatically if the person said, you know, my family is having all these issues. You know, I was really stressed. I was afraid to come to you. I did this terrible thing. Let's work on it and I'll find a way to pay you back. Um, denied, 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 lied, 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 lied. And then the police came. So <laughs> we, not, we tried to have a successful setup there. Some people, I really, I really did. I tried to give her every grace I could and, um, you know, even in court, lied, 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 lied. So yikes! Yeah, yeah. Can only help people if they're willing to also mm-hmm. help you help themselves. Mm-hmm. All of that, and some of that goes to, you know, my other thing. Anytime you're delivering news, especially news that's going to be received with skepticism or, you know, anger, frustration, whatever, have the data ready. Have mm-hmm. the data ready before you go in to the best of your your ability. Because if you had, you know, approached her early before you had the data, basically she just would have had a chance to get rid of a bunch of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And because you needed to be sure before you kind of cross that bridge, like you need to be pretty sure you can't unring the bell as it goes. Yeah. And I needed to, un- I needed to have confidence that I understood how it happened. Yeah. Not only to deal with that situation but to also prevent it from being able to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as Close a, the as loophole. Some, you know, as, as a smaller organization, you know, you, you always try to put checks and balances in place in any organization, mm-hmm. but it's hard in a small organization to have complete separation of duties. Yeah. And so that was exactly what happened. She was able to touch two things that should never have been able to touch each other. And I mean, she was very, she was very smart, but used her intelligence in a bad way. Yeah. Not, not, not a good thing and not something, you know, that the military doesn't also see sometimes. And we also have rules about separation of duties, but we have waivers for it because sometimes your command is just is small Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you know, you try and put other checks and balances in place when you know you have someone who, you know, touches two spots that could be that way. Um, but that's, that's, you know, one of those things. Yeah. All right. Before we get into the rapid challenge, anything we missed in delivering or receiving news? Mm, you know, I'm a chocoholic. So <laughs> just bring, bring <laughs> offerings with bring you. Offerings. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does come back to that, you know, depending on the news, depending on the circumstances, it's kind of like going back to the first piece of the conversation had, you know, my, a small group of my key staff taken me out to lunch and had the conversation in that kind of environment, you know, as opposed to putting me in a fishbowl and, and, you know, whipping me, (laughs) you know, they, they would have had a different experience. I would have had a very different experience. You know, I think, Ultimately, I'm a grown-up, so I think the outcome was okay, ultimately. But, you know, there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and, and a lot of angst for a while before I digested, processed, and, you know, moved on from a lot of it. Yeah. And I think it's important to underscore here that any of the waiting, whatever, is not for emergencies. But it these tactics also aren't just for catastrophically bad news. It can also just be an update or a change that your boss needs to be aware of. 
You might argue that switching chocolate chip cookies to milkshakes was not a catastrophic change, although the crew did not feel that way. So <laughs> I would think I would think when you're on a ship and people have this expectation. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah, of it comes down to managing it, expectations. Yeah. I mean it can have a it can have a significant impact. So bad. Oh my gosh. Top ten worst days of my career was that day. I really thought we had something with the milkshakes. I thought that was a creative a creative zig. It was not. It was a bad zag. I I, I would have enjoyed the milkshake. <laughs> I had a great milkshake. Okay, so we are gonna go through this leadership challenge and do a couple of these. We're gonna skip over the finding time and space and really just think about if you were in this situation, you've got your 15 minutes, you're walking in the door, how do you start a discussion about some of these things. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. You just got a call that your command budget is being cut and they expect you to scale back on the number of people that you are sending TAD to training over the next few months. So this is like you had people who were scheduled to go to schools or whatever, and you're going to have to go back and tell a bunch of them that they can't go anymore. How do you start that discussion with your boss? So I, I would start it by saying, you know, I, I, Boy, I'm stumbling already. There you go. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. This is why you need the yeah. 15 minutes to get ready. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think I would start out by by creating a list of the the people who were scheduled and really look in and see like which are the most critical ones. You know, which mm. which ones are are doing the training now because they have an immediate need for that training as opposed to somebody who's uh, a nice, nice to have the training but it's not urgent. So right. I would I would parse the list that way, and mm-hmm. you know I would come in prepared to explain my process and who who I was planning to continue to send, you know who I was going to hold till the next round of uh, budget came through and why. But I would also come in and I would ask if there are funds available through any other activity that maybe doesn't need all of its money. That mm. be switched, and I don't know how much that happens in the military, but in the private sector, you know, I have an annual budget. I can sometimes move the pieces within the budget. You know, I can't necessarily create new dollars, but I can move dollars. So, yeah. I, if that's feasible in the military, I would probably ask that question to see if there's anything, you know, if it. And I would only do it if there, if I found that I had a couple of people who we're really in the, they should go for that training right now, not to cover the whole thing, but I've got a couple of people who really should go now, but I'm a little bit short on that. So I think that would, yeah. those would be my kind of right away steps. Yeah. We can't change the color of money, but a lot of times like travel budgets and training budgets are controlled like one command up. And mm-hmm. so that's, I, that was my first thought was like three categories, like people who have to go, people who really should go, but they are below the budget cut. And then people who are nice to haves and the nice to haves have to go and you need to be ready to explain that it's for mm-hmm. redundancy or we don't, they don't actually need to go for another six months or whatever. And then for that middle group, though, that should be where you have that ask ready of, look, I've thought this all the way through. This is the budget they're giving us. This is what we need to meet all of these other requirements. Can you go back to what we call ISIC, immediate superior in command, and say, we heard you right? About the budget cut. But when you look at your total budget for travel, these four or five people, whatever it is, really need to go because we're going to fall short in these critical areas. And if you can have that logical, not just we're mad, we don't get training, but like, no, these are really valid requirements. I think you'll get a lot better response, both from your boss and from the people who control the budget. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can find... Oh, we've got an ethical one next. Love a good ethical one. You suspect a leader in your division has been stealing and selling things on eBay. You've noticed some weird behavior and the record keeping doesn't look quite right. So the first thing I would I would try to do is get on eBay and see if I could find something that looked like it was it was something that should have been on our ship and is now yeah. on eBay. You know, I would want to have enough confidence that there was at least some credible evidence that this was occurring before I brought it to, to my superior. Assuming that I, I found something that was questionable, either by looking, you know, 
analyzing their records and finding yeah. some some gap or some something that doesn't make sense, which is how I found the person embezzling in my organization. You know, my some of my monthly financials didn't make sense. Mm. Or, you know, if I can find something actually on eBay, you know, then I would come and I would my approach to to the ultimate recommendation would be if I if I'm really sure I would do what I would call a sting. I would actually buy something from that person mm. and come back with the I, I would have prepared my superior that I was going to do this. Yeah. And then I would bring the evidence to them and say, and this was the transaction that occurred. Yeah. And so, and we have NCIS. So really for us, it would be, you're preparing your boss that you're about to take a bunch of stuff to NCIS. Mm -hmm. And if you have a JAG on board, they might be involved, right? That's a a judge advocate general. You've watched the show. You know. I also have a friend who used to be a JAG. (laughs) Fair enough. And because we're not going to do the sting, we're not even necessarily concerned with who it is we're going to leave all that up to to ncis but before you ever take anything off the ship like that you have to be prepared to to tell your boss and so i think yeah having you know the the purchase requests or you know what we call dd200 so a survey form like oh this thing got lost right Mm -hmm. having a couple of those and saying like this pattern looks weird Here's an eBay listing I found that also looks weird. I have a bad gut feeling about this. My records don't feel right. You know, my plan is to take this to NCIS. And I think especially if you can give a timeline to your boss. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw a couple of things a week ago. I took a week to dig into the records. This is what I found. I think that gives them confidence that you haven't been sitting on this. Right. It gives them confidence, though, that you also are not just knee-jerk reacti- reacting. Mm-hmm. Good point. And, and, and so I think that's how a lot of that would go for me, is this is what I suspect. This is why I suspect it. I'd like permission to, to go outside the mm-hmm. ship and turn this over to somebody who can actually handle it. Mm-hmm. And then wait, because your boss is probably going to need to tell their boss before you actually start doing stuff, because yeah. you, you just don't ever want to be, you know, the, the first person to alert people off ship most of the time. Well, and I, I would actually ask uh, my superior, like, wh- how, when, when will you get back to me to give me the go or no go order? Yeah. And, and a lot of times they're going to take it out of your hands entirely. Right. They're going to say, like, thank you very much. And say, I guess we'll call you when they're ready for your statement. You know, a lot of times that would be our XO, not our CO. Right. The second in command who does a lot of like the admin and stuff. But and and I think in that circumstance, if you know whatever news you're bringing them is likely to end up with, you know, being managed by the XO or the command master chief, who's like the most senior enlisted person, mm-hmm. make sure they're in the room, too. That goes back to your original point about not having to repeat yourself right. is like. Tell the CEO and XO you need to sit them both down together mm-hmm. and then be like, look, this is what I found. This is how long I've been watching it. It's happened again. Or, you know, I think I found the pattern. I'm, this needs to be handled by someone. And then going back to the senior person with a secret thing, I think they're going to want to push it mm-hmm. fast at that point. Yeah. Sure. All right. Let's see if we can do one that's a little more touchy, not touchy feely, a little more maybe soft skill. You have someone who's very junior and shows tremendous leadership potential potential, and your Mm -hmm. current junior leaders are slacking off. You would like to restructure a little to put the stronger leader in a position to help the division. And I think this is something different a little bit than the civilian sector because rate and rank play such a huge role in what positions you get put to in the military. So putting someone who's of a junior rank over someone of a senior rank can be a, a really big deal. A really big deal. Yeah, definitely different on the private side, you know, and even I would say even in the, the government sector, you know, where I work. So one of the things I would be inclined to do is to pitch it as a pilot, mm. pitch it as a pilot to do a form of training of young up and comers. Mm, Saying, mm-hmm. you know, the best way for this person to learn is to do. Mm-hmm. And so I want to put this person in charge of this activity or this you know, component of what we're doing in the office. 
give them a chance to not only exercise their leadership skills, but craft it in a way that they get feedback and use it as a, a learning and growing experience. So I think on on my side of the fence, you know, you can kind of bury the lead in I'm not jumping over somebody of a higher rank, yeah. even though I am, you know, but I'm doing it in a way that it's really more about, all right, you other junior you know, leaders, your job is to sow into this person and help them be successful, help them learn. Yeah. And my kind of my hidden intent, if you will, would be to wake them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, without, without saying it to them, and maybe I would say it to them directly, you know, you guys got comfortable in your positions. You're not at the top of your game. This is a chance for you to sharpen your skills and, you know, so into the next gen of leadership. Yeah. And I think this is one of those circumstances and how you frame it both to your boss and to the people you're delivering it to is going to matter. Because if you say like, you guys have been skating and so we're going to put this other person in your job, I think all you're going to do is get more skating. She's going to get worse. A- angry people. Well, and then I think they try to undermine the person you're putting above them. Yeah. So that's in the, in HR terms, that's actively disengaged, mm-hmm. right? People. And sabotage. Yeah. And that's dangerous, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason you're going to your boss first is to get their mentorship, which should be one of your asks is like, how do I do this in a way that actually builds everyone up and gets buy-in? And I think mm-hmm. your idea of like, okay, we're going to start this thing where we pair a more experienced leader with a junior one or something and we let the junior person try and then we do like monitored feedback sessions mm-hmm. because people learn well often by, by well and by teaching oh yes and so if they then get the chance to provide feedback they might up their skills but if you frame it to them as like the next level of leadership is training leaders so we're going to put this person in a position where they're technically over you for a week, a month, whatever the trial period is, because I want you to provide them feedback under the mentorship of senior leaders to learn how to train a leader. Yeah, I think you'd get, you'd get better feedback. And if you have thought all of that through, when you present it to your boss, they're a lot less likely to be like, eh, risk's not worth, not worth the squeeze there. And they might have other ideas. Mm -hmm. That's the reason they're a senior leader right, is hopefully they've seen some things before. And so what you may be asking from them is just how do we do this without crumbling the whole division? Right. And they, and they might tell you no. Also a possibility. They might just mm-hmm. say, look, we're in a critical time in our deployment or a project. We just can't risk destabilizing it right now. Yeah. Or, or to add on to that uh, approach, they may say, well, if you are having trouble with these junior leaders, you need to rally them and light a fire under them. Yeah. Yeah. And if this is going to be junior enlisted leaders, it's important that your enlisted leaders be involved in this, right? So for for the Navy, that would be chiefs, right? Maybe even the command master chief. Because if you start messing with people under their purview and you don't ask, you're going to break trust not only with your actual people involved, but with your boss, with the other you know, in your enlisted leaders, this is not ever a unilateral decision when you're kind of kind of buck tradition a little bit or try something different. Uh, Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming to hang out talking about delivering bad news. Um, I really appreciate it. Plus, I like hanging out with you. Thank you for asking. Fun hanging out. Pretty cool. Yeah. And good luck finishing your PhD. When do you defend your dissertation? February 19th. Oh my gosh, it's coming. What is that? Like three, three, four weeks? Yeah. No. (laughs) Ah! All right. Well, good luck. We're all cheering for you. Thank you. And thanks for hanging out and helping me translate some of these concepts across the great military civilian divide. All right. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I hope this was an interesting discussion. And if you like the new format better or you like this topic a lot, please let me know. Any and all feedback is really great. Otherwise, it sort of feels like I'm shouting into the void, which is also fine. Sometimes everybody needs to shout into the void. This next week in both the Substack and the pod, we are covering oversight, how to be a leader who makes sure things are getting done without being a micromanager, because everyone's had one. 
everyone has hated one and nobody wants to be one. I have had that disease. I have had that disease. (laughs) Every leader goes through a phase where they're a micromanager. So we're going to talk about how to avoid it, how to be a great leader instead. Please, if you enjoyed this, it's always free and available to anyone who needs it, both the Substack and the podcast. So the best thing you can do is subscribe, give us a rating, give us feedback and share us with people you think would benefit. Thanks so much.